Do you remember we said on the last episode we'd do a very sad introduction? No. Um, episodes ago, we said the last one would just be like a sad version of the theme tune because it was the last one. Oh, that's perfect. Right. Yeah, you sing it and I'll do a sad intro. Do, 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 do. Hello. Do 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 do. Do 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 do. Final episode of the Famous Five podcast. It's the final book, book twenty one. Yeah, book twenty one. Sorry, we're still being sad. I should have said book twenty one. It's taken us thirty months, thirty one months, something like that. Did you have a baby? While we were making this. Yes, I had a baby. Yeah, I did. We had a, I had six month maternity leave from this podcast. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Wow, okay. Oh, that's pretty good going then. So 21 books would have been 21 months if we didn't, you know, have lives that things happen in. Yes. But minus no add six so that takes us to 27 months so that's just four unaccounted for months but sometimes as i as i just said sometimes life sort of gets in the way so here we are 30 months later <laughs> book 21 book 21 podcast how are you i'm really good thank you Excellent. I don't really have any news, I don't think. Stuff's just been kind of ticking along. But yeah, everything's good. I'm good. My little kitty, Catter, Catterson's are good. Um, for anybody else who really likes cats, I know this isn't a cat podcast, so I won't go into it too much. But my baby boy cat, Pablo, who's just over one year old, has gotten mysteriously chonky recently. And I think he is eating at someone else's house as well as at mine because he goes outside a lot and he's reasonably active for a cat. You know, they sleep like 20 hours a day or whatever. But yeah, he seems to be, I don't know, he looks a bit fat. I weighed him. He doesn't weigh more than he did. So actually, so there you are. You're welcome. That's what's happened to me this month. I'm suspicious that my cat is eating at someone else's house. How about you? How are you? Uh yeah, not bad, thank you. Just like you say, ticking along. Uh getting ready for Christmas. Are you suspicious that your baby is eating at someone else's house? I know that she eats at other people's houses oh my when gosh. she goes round. She goes to her granny's every Monday and I know for certain that my mum feeds her. So <laughs> that's definitely that's, happening. That's a good thing actually. That's Yeah, you kind of don't want her not to be fed, to be honest. No. Okay. Yeah, but there's no secret feeding going on. No, I think yeah, that's the that's the issue with Pablo because he gets all of his meals here. I just think he's going and having some extra meals. But um, uh. yeah, but okay. So your baby's eating the amount she should be eating. That's good. Well done. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good parenting. Yeah. Good parenting. That's one of the things I do know about children is uh, they do need to be fed. Yep. And also, actually, this is like a segue into this podcast. Children should also have a name that their parents know. And this book, I was a little bit disappointed that Tinker's back because we felt so 
sad about him last time. Mm. And here he is again. And his dad still doesn't know what his name is. We don't know what his name is. He's got a monkey as a pet. Like, that's nice and all, but normal children don't have monkeys as pets. They have a dog like Timmy or a cat or a toad like Neville Longbottom, you know. <laughs> oh, gosh. Come on, Enid. <laughs> yeah, very strange that Tinker's back, but he is... And he's still called Tinker. So this is the final Famous Five adventure. I love to say we're ending on a high, but uh, we're not. It was just weird. Shall we get into it? Let's. Let's get okay. into it. Like Tinker and Jeremy getting into it with fisticuffs in the field. That's a reference for later. <laughs> in chapter one, the children are arriving back at Kirin. And George has missed Timmy. She is expecting him to be at the station. Even though he was always at school with her, that was one of the reasons why she agreed to go to the school. Yeah, that was my first thought as well. That, why isn't he just at school with her like he has been in the previous books? And yes, like you said, he that was her condition for actually going to school in the first place. Didn't like that. And she's convinced that something is wrong. And so she takes a taxi, but the others walk. They're less concerned. Yeah, this is this is a very strange start to the book, which and it just turned out to be a very strange book. Tell us. Even stranger when the three of them see Kieran Cottage and Dick says, Look, there's Kieran Cottage. I can just see the chimneys in the distance, said Dick. Smoke is coming from one of them. Funny, why only one, said Julian. They usually have the kitchen fire going and a fire in Uncle Quentin's study. He's such a cold mortal when he's working out all his wonderful figures for his inventions. Seems so strange. Okay, I had never heard of the phrase cold mortal before, but it comes up again in the book, so then I thought maybe it's a thing. I hadn't heard of it either. Also, I knew that, you know, nothing awful would happen to Timmy. Um, but the way this book starts and like with the chimneys and things, I, I don't know. I was, I was nervous. I would have gotten in the taxi with George. I don't know why the rest of them were like, oh, but it's a lovely day for a stroll. Sure. Your dog's not here when he always is. And like, that probably indicates peril, but what does that have a leisurely walk? Also, I love this idea that Timmy's always there. Is he there with Aunt Fanny or Uncle Quentin? Or does he just go... Oh, the train's due. Off I go and just walks from Kieran to the station. That's and what just I assumed. sits on the platform. Yeah, like he just knows when the train comes and just takes himself down there. Because Aunt okay. Fanny doesn't go down there. In the is it the first book? George has to take the pony and trap down. And now they get taxis. That's how far we've come in twenty-one books. Oh, we're in the future. So George. At, at Kieran Cottage, George comes running from the house in tears. They can't stay at Kieran. Joanna has scarlet fever and Aunt Fanny won't let them in because they're in quarantine. Julian Dick and Anne's parents are in Germany. <laughs> of course. Uh, an ambulance arrives to cart Joanna off to hospital and Timmy is released from his kennel. In chapter two, George is sniffing. She's had a rough ten minutes. 
Anne says she heard Aunt Fanny on the phone, so they sit and wait. She's arranged for them to go to Professor Hailing slash Tinker's house, but not the lighthouse because of storm damage. They head for the bus and they discuss how strange it will be for Professor Hailing having children and a dog. The bus driver carries three bags at once, much to Julian's envy. That is kind of Julian's thing, though, being an adult man. So he probably was a bit upset. That's the kind of thing I get envy about. Oh, I'm so envious. I wish I could carry that many bags and then I go home and do some weights to get strong enough to carry three. <laughs> I, don't and... really, I don't really do that. But actually, <laughs> as I was saying, I realised that has crossed my mind before. And once I did think that I wanted to do weight training so that when I carried my shopping from the car to my house, it would be more manageable. I tried it. I did one session of weight training. I was like, I, I was just like, mm, no, this is fine. It's not for me. I'll just struggle with my bags. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to move on quickly. Just please and... carry on, yes. So, do you remember the story in Finiston Farm of Grandpa versus the bull? Oh, I do know you've said it. So now we have Professor Hailing versus the horse. Classic tale. Because the bus driver's saying, you'll have to mind your P's and Q's there. Old Professor Hailing's a bit peculiar, you know. Goes off the handle if things don't go his way. Once a horse got into his garden, and believe it or not, he chased that horse for two miles, shouting at it all the way. And bless me, when he got home, tired out, there was that horse chewing up his garden again. Believe it or not, Mm, I don't believe it. I don't think anybody could run for two miles shouting. No, actually, no. No, And then I also do not believe it. Then how did he get back home? He ran shouting <laughs> two miles home. <laughs> and we have, of course, a lot more about <clears throat> professors being forgetful, but we'll come to that. And Big Hollow, where they live is a mysterious and brooding place, but it's not very far because they can still see Kirin. Yeah, and it's only two stops on the bus. It's Kirin, Little Hollow, Big Hollow. Enormous Hollow, Gigantic <laughs> Hollow, Titanic Hollow, yeah. The End of the Hollows. <laughs> Deathly Hallows, no. <laughs> uh, in Chapter 3... <laughs> In chapter three, they walk in the gate and agree they'll have to be quiet, even though Timmy can't whisper. Timmy cries because he can't whisper. Well, he whines, but... Imagine not being able to whisper. I know. Poor Timmy. Mischief appears and is pleased to see them, and then Professor Hailing comes shouting at them to go away. Apparently, plenty of sightseers have been popping up because he was in the newspapers. Luckily, Tinker appears and explains who they are. Professor Hailing has had... (laughs) <laughs> Professor Hailing has an early form of hanger because, as we know, he forgets his meals all the time. He does, doesn't he, have an early form of yeah. hanger? And once he realises he's hangry, he starts laughing. Like, it's so <laughs> so funny. Maybe he's laughing because he knows he's a trendsetter. He's like, gosh, I'm so angry and hungry. Hangry. Ha ha ha! I'm so clever. That's probably his biggest scientific achievement, actually, uh, inventing hanger. Professor Hailing has a tower and no one is to go up it. Uncle Quentin is the only other person who knows what it is for. Professor Hailing is not a functioning human. 
but then he does have to share his meals, the ones he remembers to attend, with a very naughty monkey. Well, maybe if he was a slightly better parent who gave his child a name and a, a regular pet, he wouldn't have to share the meals with a monkey and maybe he'd be able to function a bit more. He probably doesn't function well because he doesn't eat. Like, set an alarm, get a grip, Professor Hailing. Sort it out. Agreed. In Chapter 4, Tinker is still pretending to be a car because nobody has sought a diagnosis for him. Mm. And Julian says, Now you just shut up. Can't you grow up a bit? No, said Tinker suddenly. I don't want to grow up. I might be like my father and forget to eat my meals and go out with one sock on and one sock off. And I'd hate to forget my meals. Just think how awful it would be. I'd always be hungry. There's a bit where Tinker says about being a car that it just sort of comes over him. Yes, said Tinker, rubbing one of his arms. It sort of comes over me and away I go. So it is like a compulsion. Yeah, I I think this child does need a diagnosis and I hope that after this book he does get some help. Unfortunately, he doesn't end up with new parents at the end, which somehow sometimes fixes everybody's problems, like with um, <laughs> Ragamuffin Joe. But... Oh, yeah. Um, it turns out in the Hailing household, there are no mattresses. So Jenny the cook suggests they go camping. Brilliant. They decide to catch the bus back to Kieran to get the camping things, and then Jim the carrier <laughs> will bring them in his van. They also decide to send flowers to Joanna. The boys head back to Kieran and plan to cycle back and bring the girls' bikes, inexplicably. Anne and Tinker head to the field that they plan to camp in when suddenly they see a lot of circus caravans arriving. Tinker decides to tell them to clear off. Tinker's not very um, polite there, and I felt a bit annoyed at him when I read this, but then after we've just been talking about and I've been reminded that his father is awful, I think actually he probably hasn't really been taught how to be a nice, normal person. So actually this is also Professor Halen's fault that Tinker is so rude. Agreed. Uh, in Chapter 5, Tapper's Travelling Circus. Tinker approaches a fierce man with a bushy beard, large eyebrows, a small nose and one ear. He appears to have monkey powers, mm. like Wilfred in the last book. Apparently they have an old licence to camp there every ten years since 1648. Tinker shouts at Mr Tapper and his grandson Jeremy hits him. He tells Anne he's going to tell his dad because it's his field. His dad said he could have it. George is excited there's a circus, but Tinker is furious there's trespassers. But when he tells his father, Professor Hailing shows him an old yellow piece of parchment. It was given to the Hailings by Cromwell. However, yes, there it is. I'll quote it. Listen. And let it be known that ye travelling show, so named Tapper's Travelling Show, which has always had camping rights, shall still have the rights to claim these once every ten years so long as the show travels the country ways, given under my hand, and so on and so on. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound very convincing that it's from 1648. <laughs> no. no. It, it starts also... well, let it be known that ye travelling show, but then it's just like, it's always had camping rights. <laughs> yeah, and also they're talking about since 1648. Mm-hmm. And just before the bit you said, Professor Hailing saying, wait a minute, I seem to remember an odd clause that said something about a travelling show, 
a show that had rights to camp in the field since about 1066. Mm. 1066 and 1648 are a little bit apart from each other as far as I'm aware. Well, I think the travelling show has been allowed there since 1066, but then Cromwell gave the land to the Hailing family in the 1600s for... Uh-huh. I think it was I think it was sheltering some men that needed, you know, post battle respite. Okay. So the idea is the travelling show has had rights to stay there since ten sixty six. Cromwell went, Thank you very much for looking after these soldiers. Here's some land, but you've got to let Tapper's travelling show come here every ten years because it's always been the way since well, ten sixty six was uh Battle of Hastings, so... I'm not sure the history stands up. We need Charlie here, really, our resident historian, but, you know... Anyway, never mind. They're Mm. allowed to camp there. That's the main point of that, is they've been camping there every ten years, forever. So, no matter that the Hailings have owned the land since 1648. Okay. So... Um, Professor Hayling offers to speak to Mr. Tapper so that the children can camp there, but Anne says Mr. Tapper's already said that they can. But I'm not sure how she knows, because she was at the gate, not at the field with Tinker, when he was having a go at Mr. Tapper. Psychic, or perhaps early in the book when they were talking about how she has such good hearing, maybe that was actually... There was some point to that being said at the start, and it is that she can hear people talking from across the field. She's got superpowers. I mean, psychic Anne is a thing, really, isn't it? That's true, yeah, because she... I mean, she probably could have told them about all the circuses on the land. Oh, no, it's buildings. Buildings she gets feelings from. Maybe a field Mm. is too vague for her. Perhaps. Mm. In chapter six, the circus is well and truly camped, and it wouldn't be an Enid Blyton circus without a list of acts. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, to meet that word count. We've got Deadshot Dick, a chimpanzee that plays cricket, the boneless man, Madeline and her beautiful horses, Monty and Winks the clowns, the dancing donkey, Mr. Woo the wonder wizard. Gosh, it sounded quite a circus. Don't forget that Charlie the Chimp and the Bonzo Band, said Julian. So there you go. Who were you most excited about hearing about when you read that list? Madelon and her beautiful <laughs> horses. How about you? Um, I... Um, perhaps the dancing donkey? Mm. The boneless man, because I was like, oh, how is he going to be different from the rubber man in... Uh, Five oh, I forgot a rubber man. <laughs> Gosh, this is actually very recycled, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's, he's called the boneless man. Yes, and it, this is Tapper's circus. So it's different to the other circus. That he exactly. Anne would not like to see the boneless man, apparently. And Dick tickles Mischief's nose, who sneezes, and then proceeds to steal Dick's hanky. And they talk about how well circuses treat their animals. <clears throat> Jim, the carrier, arrives with the camping things, and instead of going to sort them out, the children lays about. I didn't understand this. It just seems so unlike them. Especially Shocked. Julian would always say no we should do it now if everybody else yeah, was or around. one of them at least would be like come on let's do the right thing but 
they were all like, oh, yeah, let's just lay here and do nothing. And therefore, Professor Hailing collides with all the things in the hall. They have to rescue him and give him tea. I can't... I, why did... Never mind. I was going to say, why did Jim put all the things in the house? But I suppose so this chapter has some content. <laughs> they take all the camping stuff into the garden. And Timmy has to babysit Mischief, who rides on his back again. And the children all laugh. In chapter 7, they reference Mischief joining the circus a lot, which seems really cruel to Tinker. Mm. No one would dare say that to George that Timmy should go to the circus. But I really thought that this was building up to Mischief going at the end. Did you? Yes, I did. I thought, oh, at the end, Mischief is going to somehow communicate to Tinker that he wants to go and be with Tapper and Charlie and be a circus monkey. But It's not like Anne in the Golden Bed last week. Oh, yeah, golden bed. Tiger. Tiger with the golden bed. The boy, Jeremy, that knocked Tinker over earlier is giving the horses a run. They set up camp and they go to see Mr. Tapper, who is taking a stone from a horse's hoof. They then see the horses dance. Julian lets him know that they're camping there too and and Mr. Tapper offers the help of Charlie the chimpanzee. I know she just sort of breezed past them talking about how well the uh, animals in the circus are treated. Well, um, notoriously, circus animals were not treated well, and that's why it's banned now. Yeah, that's why there aren't animals in circuses anymore. But if we <laughs> say we did go along with believing that circus animals are treated well, and mm. so Charlie the Chimp being a circus animal, we have to believe he's treated well. But then the first time we meet him, they're like, oh, we get him to carry heavy things all the time, he'll do anything you want. Yeah, and he's in his cage all the time. Yeah. His incredibly small cage that we can find a clock in later. That's how small the cage is. Yeah, I... I was willing to suspend belief and believe that circus animals are treated well in the famous Five World, but then Charlie in his sad little cage and just doing all the grunt work didn't didn't sell it to me. No, not me. In Chapter 8, Jeremy comes to help them get Charlie out of his cage. And Charlie puts mischief on his shoulder and takes orders from Jeremy. But when a sheet covered his head, he got very angry. It calmed down when the sheet was gone. Again, did you think this was going to come up again? Yeah, I did. I did think that that was in there for a reason. My mistake. They give him some sweets to say thank you. And Jenny has packed them supper, so they take it to eat with the circus folk. In chapter 9, the band plays and the horses dance and the fiddler plays. They watch Charlie and Jeremy play cricket. It's very comical. And then on comes the dancing donkey. But he's not a real one, even though Anne thought it was. I also thought it was until till Dick told her off about it. Yes, but you weren't looking at it. There's a difference. That's true. It was being was described as though it was real. Although later they describe the costume as a donkey skin, and that made me think, like, is it a real donkey skin? Oh, no. Oh, I hope not. Oh, that's made me feel sad. I wasn't sure if donkey skin meant, like, donkey costume. I hope it does. So then they see the boneless man perform, and then they head for supper. Um, Listeners, I know these summaries are quite short. There is lots of nice description, just... Not a lot of content. No, there really isn't. It's just a lot of... Watching things. Yeah. Nice description. Like, there's nice description of the horses and everything. 
But... Oh, I didn't feel like there was enough description. No, but you'd like a book all about describing horses. That's true, and I've read books like that. You're right. Um, the boneless man, though. I'll I'll read about the boneless man. Let me share this description with our lovely readers. Um, the boneless man looked very peculiar. He was remarkably thin and remarkably tall. He walked in looking quite extraordinary. He can't be boneless, said Dick. He couldn't walk if he was. But the boneless man soon began to seem absolutely boneless. His legs gave way at the knees and his ankles turned over so that he sank down to the ground, unable to walk. He could bend his arms all kinds of different ways and turned his head almost completely round on his neck. He did a few peculiar things with his apparently boneless body and finally wriggled along the ground exactly like a snake. <laughs> and Julian asks, how on earth does he do it? He bends his arms and legs all the wrong ways. Mine would break if I did that. Oh, it's easy for him, said Jeremy. It's just that he's completely double-jointed. Okay. I don't think that double-jointed people can bend their heads round like they're in The Exorcist, but... <laughs> I mean, I don't know for sure. Jeremy's got more experience in this field than I do. Mm. Um, but that I did like that description and that he can bend his head all the way around like an owl because uh, he's completely double-jointed. <laughs> Even in his cervical spine. I'm not surprised Anne doesn't like it. No, me neither. Also, her fear when she said she didn't want to see him was she thought that he would be limp and wriggly like a worm or a jellyfish, and then he pretty much is. So mm. she was right to be doubtful. And again, he doesn't feature, <laughs> does he? You get all this wonderful description no. of all these people that are, you know, not going to crop up or be useful later. I thought that one of them was going to be the villain for sure. And I was, you know, sort of thinking as it went along, who's it going to be? I think actually I sort of thought it would be the boneless man because he had so much description and his wiggly skills would probably be good for, <laughs> I don't know, getting into a tower. Is what I thought, but... In chapter 10, they sit around the campfire and talk about the clowns. Julian points out that they didn't see Mr Wu perform. He doesn't rehearse. He might not even go for supper, but he's a wizard with numbers. He's very clever and should be an inventor of some sort. They share their food and Mr Wu does arrive. And here is a description of him. <laughs> he stood there with a half smile on his face tall, commanding and handsome. His hair was thick and black as soot. His eyes gleamed in the firelight, half hidden by great eyebrows, and he wore a thin, pointed beard. He had a curiously deep voice and spoke with a foreign accent. <laughs> Mr. Woo! <laughs> Is this another one of Enid's? Like, she's just writing descriptions of men she fancies, like our one in the... Um... In the last book, Lucas describing how shirtless he yeah. is. Shirt shirtless Lucas and Mr. Wu. It's a <laughs> very different book. <laughs> so Mr. Wu is very interested in Tinker's father's work and Tinker runs his mouth off until Julian stops him. Tinker realises he was never meant to talk about his father's work and pretends to choke, hoping Julian will change the subject, which of course he does. They test Mr. Wu's math skills. Mr. Wu turns the subject back to Professor Hailing, and Tinker reveals that his father's secrets are all in the tower. 
Julian is determined that they leave, and when they do, he scolds Tinker for his behaviour and tells him he's ashamed of him. Tinker cries, runs away, and creeps into his own bed to sleep. Hmm. In chapter 11, the five let him go. They're disappointed in him. They head to bed, teasing each other about spiders. The whole field is quiet and still, and no one sees the shadowy figure. Timmy gives a little growl, but then he heard the noise of Charlie the Chimp, and so fell asleep. Jenny wakes up for a drink, and hears a noise sounding like it came from the tower. There's no light on, so she waits for the moon, and when it appears, she screams as she sees a man climbing the side of the tower. She shouts, waiting the professor, who collides with her, and they fight each other, thinking the other one was the burglar. Professor Hailing looks out on the courtyard, but sees nothing. He reassures her that no one can get in the tower, as it needs three keys. Jenny knows what she saw, and she is adamant, so they go and look for a ladder and check the locks. Nothing. They go back to their rooms, and the professor thinks Jenny lets her imagination run away with her. But the next morning, when he enters the tower room, he sees that his papers are everywhere, pages missing, letters gone, ink spilt, and a little clock stolen. So Jenny was right, but how? A real mystery. Bum, bum, bum. A real mystery. And we've had similar mysteries where people get into tower or an item mm. that it looks like you shouldn't be able to get into. And I was thinking, who got into this tower? How did the boneless man get in? <laughs> um, and Professor Hailing is a big poop in many ways <laughs> but just completely disregarding jenny then was that was his first mistake in this book it wasn't his first mistake he's pretty much a constant mistake but it was a big mistake mm. in chapter 12 jenny tells tinker what's happened and then he's worried that his careless tongue had something to do with it i'm sorry but last night only last night you revealed where all the secret plans were hidden and then the next day they've been taken You've got to make that link of who the baddie is, Yeah, like, it was your fault. (laughs) Yeah. Tinker, this was you. Did you know that Professor Hailing invented the Scowheel and the Troisimon, which are not real things? No. So... No, I didn't. No, I googled them in case, but no, they're not. They don't exist. Uh, He seems to think that the papers they did take don't contain very much information, so possibly the thief will be back. Professor Hayden claims he's going to hide them, but Tinker's worried that if he does, no one will ever find them. And then it all gets rather complicated, because Tinker and Jenny head to the tower and can't understand how a man climbed it. Then they decide to hide the rest of his papers without telling him on Kirin Island, in the ruined castle... And the professor believes he has already hidden them in the coal cellar, but that was actually newspapers. Oh, it's just all... This This sort of whole middle section of the book was just a massive disaster, in my opinion. Same middle section, but there was only 17 chapters. Okay, well, this whole... This whole book. This whole chaptered section. <laughs> every section that was a chapter. From the minute they didn't take the taxi, <laughs> it all went downhill. Even before that, from the minute that Timmy wasn't at school with George, from the moment Enid wrote, George, can't you sit still for even a minute, which is the first sentence of the book, it all went I think it's very telling that she didn't have much longer to go. Yeah. I know we're being very critical, 
but I mean, it is worth mentioning that she didn't, you know, she ended a lot of the books that she was writing in the same year, 63? 63. Yeah, so on a serious note, you know, obviously she was deteriorating, but it is very obvious from just the car crash that is this book. <laughs> and it is a car crash. Well, I mean, mercifully, it's short. So in chapter 13, Tinker tells the five what happened in the night, and Dick suggests they make fake papers to leave in the tower. And when they talk about Kieran Island, there's a bit of a public service announcement. It says... um George says, it's ages since I've visited my island, and will you believe it, last time I rode over, trippers had been there and left their beastly mess everywhere. Paper bags, broken glass, lettuce leaves, orange peel. Ugh. Why do people do that? asked Anne. They'd hate to have to sit in the midst of other people's mess, so why in the world can't they clear up their own? Oh, they're probably just like that in their own homes, said Dick, all mess and litter. Yet it takes so little time to clear up picnic mess and leave the place decent for the next comers. Although George did then bury the mess in the sand instead of taking it back with her to dispose of. Like, the lettuce leaves and the orange peel will obviously decay. The paper bag would as well. But she's just buried a load of broken glass. <laughs> that's not... That's not good. No. Deep in the sand at the really? back of one of the beaches. They're going to find that one day. <laughs> and stand on it. Yeah. Anyway... They then, this is so strange. Why are they hiding the papers at Kieran? They suggest George can't go until night time in case someone guessing, in case someone guesses that that's where the plans are. But it's less suspicious that they've got a big drawing board and pen and paper in a tent in the middle of the day. Yeah, it's... As they're drawing up these um, fake papers, why do they need a big drawing board if they're fake papers? Surely the papers are like A4. Yeah, I was, I was a little bit baffled, baffled here. As they're doing this, Charlie the chimp comes to visit, and he copies Julian's drawings. Then Timmy starts to growl, and Mister Wu approaches. Then Charlie the chimp growls at Timmy, but Mister Wu stops him by saying Charlie the chimp's name. This is the first time that I sort of realised that Mister Wu and Charlie the chimp are like buddies, because before that it yeah. had just been Jeremy, so I assumed he was Jeremy's chimp. Yeah, same. But Dick noticed Mr. Wood looked at Julian's figures and is suspicious. Julian wonders if he heard about the plans to take the papers to Kieran. And because of that, Julian forbids George to go. George backs down, suspiciously easily. In chapter 14, they stand watching Charlie the Chimp and being very suspicious of Mr. Wu. They spy a ladder in the grass and ask the boneless man if it's his, but he says everyone uses it. They find out there is one more ladder, even taller, but it would take three men to carry it. George doesn't think it could be anyone from the circus, even though Mr. Wu is, like, suspicious from the second they meet him. Mm. They then see the donkey skin slash costume, please, and immediately get into it. Uh, Even if it's a costume, we've discussed this at Five Go Down to the Sea, those costumes are horrible and they stink. Do you remember the man used to, like, keep his cigarettes in Clopper? Oh, yeah. Anyway, Jeremy comes running and starts beating them inside the donkey. (laughs) And Tinker runs at him because they had to find a reason for Tinker to knock him over. Yeah. And so they're quits now and Mr. Tapper makes them shake hands rather than fight. And 
Mischief is having, having an awesome time with the circus folk. In chapter 15, they chat over dinner and think Mr. Wu is most likely to be the thief because of his interest in figures. But could Professor Haling be a sleepwalker? How could someone get through three locks? Tinker has given George the papers and Julian will take them to the island. Tinker asks Julian if he can go to Kieran Island too, but Julian says no to that. They go for a swim and play Scrabble. Wouldn't it be less suspicious if all five children went to the island in the day with a picnic? Yeah, it's a it's a bit less suspicious, I agree, than one of them going over in yeah. the night. But And a lot less dangerous. But if yeah. they then think that somebody... Uh, th- there's no point unpicking this, is there? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Okay. At the at the tents that evening, Anne is worried about Julian going to Kieran Island by himself. George tells Anne to get in the tent and she'll be back after she takes Timmy for a run. It's dark by now and Dick was helping Julian get ready. Julian went to the girls' tent to ask George for the papers, but she wasn't there. <gasps> Anne says she must have gone to Kieran Island. What's Anne been doing all this time? Just like, oh, George has gone on a long walk. I'm not worried yet. I don't know. I don't know. I'm writing letters to her hairy cousin, Timmy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what she's Anne says she must have gone to Kieran Island and Julian is very angry. Dick and Tinker and Julian go and tell Jenny about George. In chapter 16, George cycles with Timmy at her side, a little puzzled. I like it when Timmy's puzzled and he sort of goes... Why are we going on this walk in the middle of the night? Oh, yes. I do like the insights into, into Timmy's head. Do you know what would be nice? If the books got rewritten from Timmy's perspective. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Timmy tries to tell her that he doesn't want her to go to the island. But she is going, except she hides the papers in Fisherman Connell's boat. She rows to the island, hiding her boat and talking to Timmy the whole time, who knew something wasn't right. George finds where the people on the island have left their boat and unties it, hoping the tide will take it. She follows the light of the intruders and soon she sees Mr. Wu and a man she doesn't know. They're talking and Mr. Wu says he didn't steal the papers. He always keeps his hands clean. Mm. George confronts them and Mr. Wu is surprised that the boys let her come. (sighs) As if you could stop George from doing anything. I know. She tells them to get off her island and that she's hidden the papers. They offer her money and George says come and get them. So they follow her, keeping a close eye on Timmy. Extraordinarily, George pushes one of them into the sea and Timmy pushes the other. The (laughs) men are scared and confused. George sets off in her boat for the mainland and tells them they can swim back to the island and wait for the police. I was a little bit (laughs) concerned here. I know that they're the villains, but... um... After they've been pushed in and George says that she set the boat loose, it says, Both men could swim, though not very well, and both were exceedingly angry and very frightened. They were sure they could never swim to the mainland, but how to get on the islands for safety? They didn't know. That great fierce dog was there, barking as if he wanted to bite them into small bits. Their boat had been set loose. There was no way to escape. They swam round in circles, not knowing what to do. Like, this is how people drown, because... yeah. If they're not strong enough to swim to the mainland, they're not strong enough to just swim in circles and wait. But anyway, I knew that they wouldn't die because nobody dies <laughs> in these books. 
No. Not even the villains. In chapter 17, the final chapter, Julian and Dick arrive in Kieran Bay just as George does. They ask her why, if she knew there were people waiting on the island for her papers, did she go across? And she said it was to turf them off her island. She couldn't bear people being on it. Julian and Dick laugh at her and they decide to tell the police in the morning. They make it back to Tinker's house and sleep. In the morning... Jeremy says how sad Charlie the Chimp is because Mr. Wu is gone. Tinker and Mischief get into his cage with him and to Tinker's surprise he finds the little clock from his father's tower room. He realised that Charlie the Chimp was the one who climbed the tower and must have stolen the clock to keep for himself unbeknownst to Mr. Wu. They surmise they should call the police to have Mr. Wu charged. Jenny thinks that there may be burglaries wherever the circus went based on nothing. <laughs> And then that's sort of the end. It's not obviously the end. The last bit is, um, George says, Dear old Jenny, what an exciting time we've had. I really did enjoy every minute of it. And then there's the sort of sentient part of the book. So did we, George. Hurry up and fall into another adventure. We are longing to hear what you and the others will be up to next. How we wish we could join you. Goodbye for now. Take care of yourselves, five. Good luck. Yeah, it's not written like the final book at all, is it? No. Maybe maybe Enid did think that she was going to, I don't know, do more. Or maybe she just never didn't want to say goodbye to them properly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. To be, to be honest, she was probably told by whoever made as much money off her books as she did never to make it look like the end, just in case. Yeah. Don't say this is the end, goodbye, in case... In a couple of years' time, you'd need that money for a lawsuit, I don't know. Yeah. Never say never, I suppose. But it is sad because of the way that book 20 ended, which was really lovely. Yeah, because book 20 I enjoyed. It was a sort of funny, magical, strange one. Yeah, but I mean, the actual end of it... In fact, I'll read it because it is so... It is more like a goodbye than 21. So this is the end of book 25 of A Mystery to Solve. And it says, We'll leave them there in the sunshine, quiet and peaceful. Julian is lying back, looking at the April sky, glad that their adventure ended so well. Dick is looking down at Whispering Island, but that could be Dick is looking down at the island. Anne is half asleep, quiet little Anne who can turn into a tiger if she has to. And George, of course, is close to Timmy, her arm round his neck. Very happy indeed. Goodbye, Five. It was fun sharing in your grand adventure. That is a much nicer ending. That does feel a lot more final. Yeah. Because that's it. That is that is the end. There is no more proper Famous Five books. There's no. some short stories and there's some bits and bobs that ended up in Christmas annuals, but that's it. That's all 21. There we are. Do you have any more thoughts and feelings on Fiverr together again? Um, no. I'm glad that I'm glad to have read it because it was the last one. But um, as we've said, it was a funny, a funny one to finish on. Was strange, wasn't it? The, very little is made of the fact that a monkey climbed the tower to steal the papers for a strange man. Yeah, a memory man. It's a shame, really, because. It does feel like we're ending on a a downer, but there isn't really a lot I can say about that book. Not much of the sort of 
Famous Five traits came out of it, to be honest. No, although it is a good thing that we're having a roundup episode because that is definitely going to be jolly and um, obviously a, a last episode. So if you felt, I don't want to say disappointed, but if you felt this wasn't the ending that you were hoping for, then come back and listen to the roundup episode next time. So, for the very last time, we need to talk about the TV versions. Oh, yes. They're mad. So, the 90s version is not set near Kirin. I think one of them mentions Cheddar Gorge in the opening scene. And there's a Japanese garden where the ending takes place. There's no Professor Hailing or Jenny. They just turn up at Tinker's house and nobody's there apart from Tinker. (laughs) That seems so in keeping with Tinker's story. Everything happens so fast because it's 25 minutes. Also, I've said this in um, episode 19, but Tinker is about Julian's age, so there's less of the sort of younger boy element to it. And there's two really scary clowns. Now, I'm not scared of clowns. I know a lot of people are frightened of clowns, but these guys are sinister. And then right at the end, Anne gets like, in clown makeup which is really weird (laughs) and um mr Wu is played by brian murphy who has literally been in everything but it's a bit controversial because he's dressed up like he is a sort of stereotypical kind of japanese wise man Mm. uh and the 70s version is mad as well Right, try and get your brain around this one. Jeremy is now Sam, a middle-aged man, who's friends with the children when they visit the circus, but also knew Mr. Wu somehow, but it doesn't really get mentioned. I think we're supposed to think that he has a criminal past. Oh, right. Uh, Charlie the Chimp didn't climb the tower, but we're made to think he did and made to think Sam is the baddie. But Mr. Wu has an assistant who... Well, the actor, David Rappaport, was born with achondroplasia, which is a form of dwarfism. And I've made sure that I'm using correct terminology, but apparently the terms dwarf, little person, are generally considered acceptable. So Mr. Wu has an assistant who isn't even named in the credits he's called Mr. Wu's assistant, who has dwarfism, and he's the one who climbed the tower... Not Charlie. Charlie is being framed by Mr. Wu. And Timmy isn't in it for most of it, which is just Aww, rubbish. Um, Mr. Uh, but, but the cast at the time would have been a really big deal because Mr. Wu was played by Peter Jeffrey, who has got a CV as long as your arm. And Sam was played by Kenneth Cope, who was the original Marty Hopkirk in Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, as well as Coronation Street, loads of other things. Not necessarily big names now, but we're big at the time. Mr. Wu's assistant, who doesn't even get a name, was played by David Rappaport, who was in loads of things. A two-parter, and I think that's why the plot changed so dramatically. And I think if we've learned anything over this podcast, it's that 25 minutes isn't enough, but 50 is too many. (laughs) And the five are quite old by this point as well. And they're in their school uniform to start off with. And George is in a skirt and it's really weird. A skirt and like a little straw boater. Oh, cute. Mm, Not good. So, 
So those could be checked out if the book wasn't <laughs> enough weirdness for you and you, you'd like oh, some more. Almost all the episodes are on YouTube. Um, I know I used to do clips, but it became very technically complicated. I'm not sure why. So um, sorry if that the last few books don't have clips. But you can go and watch them. They're not long. They're perfectly watchable. Just quite strange. <laughs> this is very strange. And if you want a sinister clown go for the oh man and if you're scared of clowns really don't watch it you will have nightmares i'm i have to look at them now Mm. so um so what have we learned from fiverr together again not a lot but (laughs) don't trust memory men Oh, that's good. Um, Clopper has been thoroughly forgotten about. Because they have a horse outfit. I know, and they never mention it. I thought they were going to bring that up. Like, why are they so excited to be in the donkey when they've got Clopper at home? at home, yeah. Unless his mother sold it so she could go on another cruise. Mm, To Germany. (laughs) (laughs) A German cruise. And Tinker has still not been given any help. Oh, gosh. I wish he'd have joined the circus doing his car impressions. I know, yes. And um, Mischief could ride him. Mischief could be the driver. Um, who is the hero of the book? I wasn't quite sure. I thought George for I think that you're right. going to the island, even though Julian forbid her to do it. <laughs> Oh, Julian. And then pushing two bad guys in the water. Yeah, yeah. I think that's okay. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I agree. She was very heroic at the end because the rest of the book was a bit... I I wasn't sure. I was thinking about it as I was reading and I didn't know who it was going to be. But you're right, at the end, George does act like a, a proper hero. But you know what just occurred to me? And this may be why the bit of like calling the police gets skipped over and in the last book as well what did they say when they rang the police hello police there's two people on the island we're pretty sure one of them may have stolen some papers but we can't prove it and also he didn't so there won't be any fingerprints in the room because it was the monkey and we can't really prove that the monkey did it either the chimpanzee sorry because all we've got to go on is a clock that was in his cage which could have got there a number of ways. I think that's pretty much exactly... So arrest arrest them both. <laughs> oh, you can't arrest No, the, both the men on the island. Oh, the men. Yes. Okay, yes. You can arrest both of them. <laughs> Who and probably died over... Because they aren't strong swimmers and they might drown. No, they're, they're on the island. Of course, they can go onto the island once George and Timmy leave the island. But they have both contracted pneumonia from being soaking wet and out in the elements all night. Hmm. <laughs> well. I, I'm saying George. Mark it down for George. And what we're going to do in our roundup episode is uh, go through who's got how many hero points from the last 21 books. Excellent. So that would be fun to listen to. Yeah, so what can we expect next time? Well, as we have been saying, this is the end, my friends. But we are going to do a roundup episode, which will be out before the end of the year. And we're going to 
uh, read your emails. Thank you for everybody who's emailed in. You've still got time if you're listening to this um, near to the time it's been released. Send us an email. Let us know your favourite Famous Five book, characters, anything about the Famous Five, what it means to you, anything like that. We're going to have a little quiz. Our dear friend Charlie might pop up at one point. Oh. Uh, And uh, very exciting for me, we're going to pontificate on what we think happened to the Famous Five when they grew up. Amazing. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, so if you do want to email, we'd love to hear from you. And we are famous5pod at gmail.com. Could I just say that I thought pontificate just meant discuss, but apparently it means express one's opinions in a pompous and dogmatic way. <laughs> That's definitely what we're going to do. That is how we're doing it. Said I'm, it keep, I'm keeping that in because that's perfect. Yes. <laughs> Prepare to be pompous. <laughs> I'm prepared. So yeah, join us before the end of the year for our roundup episode. But as this is our last book, Jen, it's been a journey. Thank you so much for coming on it with me. Thank you. It has been it's been really fun and it's been really nice to read the famous five books for the first time as a grown up. Um they even though some of them are a bit silly like this one, there's a lot of charm about them and there's a lot where it's I sort of just felt like a child reading them it's easy to get into the stories and love the children and think that you're one of them and be excited for their adventures so it's been really fun and thank you for inviting me to do this with you pleasure and if I may I'd like to leave you with this whatever your reason for reading the famous five you did it to escape into a world where four children and a dog can have an amazing adventure and get back in time for tea And while none of us are likely to be able to catch as many criminals as they have, or solve as many mysteries, or find as many hidden passages, we can still fill our lives with adventures and share them with our family and friends. Be strong, confident and polite like Julian. Be funny, life-loving and ambitious like Dick. Be headstrong, quick-witted and truthful like George. Be sensible, creative and surprising like Anne. And be loyal, clever and wonderful like Timmy. Because we can be all these things and we should be. In honour of the Famous Five, long live adventures, picnics and holidays. And thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.